Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The purpose of this podcast is to expose you to great people who are helping cats daily, and hopefully you may learn a little bit more about what you might do in your community for cats. Today, we're speaking with Mike Kiley. Mike is the director of the Noble Family Animal Care and Adoption Center at the MSPCA at Nevins Farm. Mike Kiley has been working in animal welfare since 1994, all at the MSPCA at Nevins Farm. Mike has been a director there for over 12 years and during this time has developed outreach and adoption programs to elevate the Noble Family Adoption Center to one of the most progressive and successful animal welfare organizations in New England. Mike has also served as board member of the New England Federation of Humane Societies since 2007. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So we're going to just kick off with our questions and way, way back in 1994, how did you get involved in this business? Uh, It's funny, actually. I had no idea what an animal shelter was, and I had uh, always loved animals and decided that I wanted to uh, work with animals for my career. So in high school, my mother decided that I needed to pad my resume for vet school and signed me up to be a volunteer at the MSPCA at Nevins Farm. I got into the shelter not knowing anything about it and started as a dog walker and um, slowly got addicted to working with animals and started coming instead of one day a week, started coming pretty much every day after school. My childhood background is with rabbits. So shortly after I started as a volunteer, the MSPCA took in 167 rabbits. And at the time, no one knew anything about rabbits. We had to hold them as a law enforcement case. They were all sick and uh, needed to be medicated daily. So I helped out with that pretty much every single day and um, really decided that at some point that I really wanted to have a career with animal welfare and not as a veterinarian. I think when I was a kid, I thought uh, the only thing you can do if you want to work with animals is to be a veterinarian. I decided somewhere along my college career that the MSPCA was where I wanted to be long term and um, have stayed here ever since. Can you describe a little bit what the MSPCA was like back then in 1994? Yeah, it was, um, you know, I, it's the only shelter that I ever knew, so I didn't think anything different of it, but it was a pretty bleak place with a big heart, is the way I would describe it. Um, the building that we were operating out of was described to me originally as a garage and a chicken coop, or sorry, pigeon coop on top of the garage. Um, Nevin's Farm was never a place that was supposed to be a place where cats and dogs were going to be held. It was started as a retirement farm for um, working horses. But over time, um, horses stopped being the primary mode of transportation and took over with police cars instead of police horses. And uh, the number of homeless animals started to rise. So that's where that little space got converted into a place to hold cats and dogs. At the time when I first started, the cats and the dogs all lived in one big room. And that was really all we had. Uh, so every morning, we would turn six dogs out into the outside pen area and uh, give the cats a little bit of a break. But it was a uh, looking back at it now, it was a pretty stressful, devastating place for animals to be. And um, at some point, we were luckily able to get uh, separate cat rooms while we waited for a new building. And in 2004, we moved into a brand new state-of-the-art uh, 19,000 square foot building that really took into consideration the needs of the animals. So um, it was a really tough beginning for us, but I think it made us a little bit stronger and it made us appreciate really where we're at today. So in describing where you are right now, how does that building serve cats and what sort of programs are you doing to help community cats now? Well, I think the 
first and foremost, our adoption program has uh, become very strong. Having a building in which the animal's stress is focused on right off the bat when the cats come into our shelter, they're able to go into a quiet area. They have sunlight in the back of the cages with a glass-backed cages. So even though they're in cages, they're still getting a little bit more enrichment right off the bat and a little less scary first experience. And then our adoption floor, we have multiple spaces available for cats with different personalities. Cats that like it to be up high can be in our tall townhouse cages. Cats that um, need a big wide bottom space because they're bigger cats have uh, the showcase cages that are have a good floor space. Cats that like to be with other cats can hang out in our colony rooms. So we have different spaces that accommodate each cat's personalities. And I think for community cats, one of the things that we've been able to do is we have now a surgical suite with veterinarians and veterinary technicians that are able to do low-cost spay-neuter surgery right here in our building. And that's been able to allow us to program around the needs of our community. And especially with cats, that's the biggest change that's happened in the 22 years that I've been here. You mentioned the, a change. Are you talking about a change in the decrease of the population coming into the shelter? Yeah, absolutely. Once we were able to get into a building that you know allowed us to do a little bit more than just get through the day, we were able to start to look at the root of our issues. So we started uh, we started basically a two-stage plan um, that has now expanded into a much longer plan. But the initial two stages were help reduce the number of cats coming into our shelters, uh, help get the cats that are in our buildings out the door. And actually, I said that in reverse. It's really the first thing had to happen first. Even though we moved into this brand new great building, we were still taking in lots and lots and lots of uh, Dalton kittens, probably about 3,600 cats and kittens every single single year. So literally, all we could really do was um, with the time that we were here is taking the cats, get them vaccinated, prep for adoption, um, hopefully place as many as we could and make really difficult decisions for euthanasia on the rest of them. And honestly, it got to the point where even in this big building just meant that our labor went up and we were having to deal with more cats and more cats. And it was just very time consuming. So by the time we were done just working, on our adoptions, we never really had any other um, way to sort of do anything more for cats. So the first stage of our program was we needed to get cats into homes. So we started our adoption promotions program in which we started fee-waived adoption events for cats which were situated at the times where we were at max capacity. And we were able to use those as great opportunities to get cats into homes, clearing our shelter and freeing our staff up to do more time, uh, more things with cats. We got really good at it and uh, it allowed us to go into stage two, where we actually shifted animal care and adoption counselors who were or their sole purpose was to help get cats adopted. We were able to shift them backwards into our veterinary program as technicians and uh, we were able to start offering low-cost spay-neuter programs to the public. Um, for us, Bethuen, Lawrence, Haverhill, and Lowell have been our target towns where the most number of cats have been coming from. And we started op- um, offering $10 cat spay-neuter programs for those communities. And as soon as we started doing that, the numbers of intake uh, for surrender cats went down significantly. The number of kittens being born in our community was reflected in the number of uh, kittens, kittens being surrendered going down dramatically. We're now at a point where Um, we have dealt with our uh, numbers issue when it comes to cats. And now we're actually delving into helping to place cats that we've never been able to place before. And what kinds of cats are those? Those are primarily uh, senior cats, cats with medical issues and cats with behavior issues. So back when we were taking in as many as 20 to 30 cats every single day in the summertime when we were at our max capacity already, we would have to make difficult decisions on the cats that were less desirable for the public. So um, when we really pretty much ran out of space to host house, um, the number of cats coming in. So each day we had to make really difficult choices. The most logical choices at the time were cats with behavior issues like biting and scratching, 
um, or uh, house soiling issues, cats that were senior cats that needed more medical care, and cats with other medical issues that uh, might have been able to be treated, but without any cage space, we couldn't justify treating over, um, you know, giving an adult cat without issues a chance for adoption. If you do uh, loan out a trap or somebody has a trap and they show up with a, a feral cat in a trap, how have you handled that? Yeah, that was actually a big change for us too. Um, back when I first started, if someone came in with a feral cat um, and they didn't want the cat back on their property, um, the only option we really had at the time was to humanely euthanize the cat. And it was a you know far more significant practice back then that people would come and rent traps, um, bring them in, and, and they would be euthanized. Um, probably about five or six years ago, we decided that we really wanted to make sure that we were supportive of the people that were doing great work with trap neuter release programs and felt like we needed to make a change with that. So now people can only come in and rent traps if they have the desire to do TNR. And we offer that program to people directly. So if they bring in a trapped feral cat, we will spay and neuter the cat, typically at no charge to the person, and we'll get the cat back into the community that it came from. And we're able to, in our target towns, offer that same program. So if people live in Lawrence, Haverhill, Methuen, or Lowell, uh, we let them come and rent traps, bring the cats in for free Bay neuter and released back into the community. And you referenced uh, talking about a target area. How did you define or prioritize those target areas? Um, primarily, we did it based on the number of cats and kittens that we were taking in to our shelter and which communities they were coming from. So when we looked at our statistics and the zip codes that those cats were coming from, it became clear um, that Lawrence was the number one community that was most represented when it came to surrendered animals or stray animals, um, cats and dogs. Haverhill was right behind them, Methuen right behind them, and Lowell, we actually didn't initially uh, start to help until um, some grants ran, ran out for other groups in Lowell. And when there was a need to be filled, we, uh, we jumped into the Lowell area so uh, as to help support that community. Do you uh, want to share what your current live release rate is? Yeah, we are at um, 92% um, rate for uh, live release for adults and kittens. So it's pretty exciting. When I first started in 1994, our overall adoption rate was probably about 35%. Um, maybe even that was overall, so maybe even less for cats. So it was pretty dramatic change in just a relatively short period of time. Yeah, I, I remember remember back in those days, and I fostered many kitties that had come out of the MSPCA that had transferred over to uh, MRFRS. So uh, it's um, it's amazing what has happened over the last 20, 20 odd years. It's it's pretty awesome, I have to say. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, really, it felt like we were just um, swimming in cats, literally, and that we couldn't, you know, day after day, there'd just be lines of people waiting to surrender their cats and kittens. And every staff member would go home just totally exhausted, both emotionally and, and physically. And um, honestly, when people were leaving our shelter, uh, staff were leaving on their exit interviews, we asked what stressed them out the most and, and, you know, why they were leaving. And ultimately, both the euthanasia of cats was right at the very top and how, uh, you know, how emotionally taxing that was for everybody. And just dealing with the numbers of cats coming in and caring for those cats. It just felt like there wasn't enough time in the day and just that there seemed to be no end in sight to the problem with cats. And if you look back statistically, uh, which I did not too long ago, you can look back um, at the uh, number of cats that we were taking in back until our records got a little bit blurry. So about 1986, and you can see that the number of adult cats being surrendered to the MSPCA was virtually unchanged in our organization. The number of kittens had gone down, you know, to some degree, but not dramatically. And nothing had really changed in our organization just from taking cats in and trying to rehome them 
until we started to do our spay neuter programs. And then there's been a precipitous change in the numbers coming down uh, to a much more manageable level. So it's really very interesting to see that um, you really can never adopt your way out of a overpopulation issue. Um, it seems like our, our first and foremost, most important thing to do is take animals in that need to be taken in and find them homes. But really, we were just treading water with that. And we were doing our best and working our hardest. But um, it wasn't affecting the overall community that we were working in. And so the, the spay-neuter program was really uh, the most important thing we've ever done for cats, I think. So you're actually beginning to answer my second question, which was sort of, you know, what if you got picked up today and got placed in a community that was still drowning in cats? What would be your approach to addressing that overpopulation issue now, knowing what you do know from the last 20 odd years? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's access to veterinary care for spay and neuter and for vaccinations. So one of the things that's uh, gone away in our shelters uh, from the vaccine state uh, point of view is that um, we're not seeing panleukopenia outbreaks any longer because we're helping people vaccinate their cats and vaccinate their dogs for parvo. So we're seeing that, um, you know, just from helping people with access to low cost veterinary care for vaccines alone, we were able to make our community healthier. But more importantly, um, the low-cost spay-neuter at a very affordable rate um, is super important, I think, to try to tackle that overpopulation issue. And I think, you know, I've seen an animal welfare uh, really focus a lot on the adoption side of it, which is very noble and, and exciting. But, you know, like I said, you can't really adopt your way out of an overpopulation issue. So um, until you really get to the core issue of overpopulation and address that head on, there's not going to be much in the way of change. And the interesting thing for us, you know, the way that we kind of set the market for $10 was uh, we were having a conversation, I think you and I at some point, that it was really hard to get male cats into low-cost spay-neuter programs, that even though it was being offered at a lower cost, people weren't bringing their male cats. And male cats, as you know, are, or may, may not, if you're listening in, um, are the easiest surgery for us to do. And we can do a lot more male cats than we can do females because it's not as invasive and generally pretty quick. The way that we tested our market was that we decided in February when it was the slowest time of the year for us and we had more resources available to us is to do a $10 uh, Tom's program where we basically took all the rules off in our community for spay neuter. And we said, we're going to offer $10 cat neuters, no appointment needed, vaccines were being included. Just show up on one of these days and we'll get your cat back to you the same day. And we thought we would get a maybe 100 or so cats and see what the male cat population was like. Uh, and we were completely overwhelmed. Uh, we had a line all the way through our parking lot the first day that we started offering the program. And it never really stopped through February. Uh, we did about 567 male cats in that month. And it was interesting to see it sort of move through our community. And as people heard about it, um, people responded. And I think what that taught me was when it comes down to what people are going to spend their money on, uh, male cats aren't producing babies. So in some ways, unless they're spraying, was not as important for them to neuter. But it also told me they wanted to do it because once we offered the program at a um, without any rules and at a really low cost, people showed up and wanted to take advantage of that program. So I think, you know, it, it taught me a few things. Um, I think what one thing we already knew is um, people don't necessarily value cats the same way that they do the dogs in our community. And a lot of people, I think, didn't necessarily recognize that they were the caretaker of the animal or want to take the responsibility of being the caretaker of the animal, even though they, they were feeding an outdoor cat for over a year. Um, and if it was a hundred or two hundred dollars to neuter the, the cat that they had had some interest in, they weren't going to do it. But if it was at a very low cost of ten dollars, they showed up in droves. 
And uh, for me, it, when we talked to a few of the people in our community about the $10, um, some people were still struggling with finding the money to come up with 10 spare dollars. So uh, for me, it was motivational to try to keep our um, communities that we really need to have an effect on the most at that low of a rate. Very interesting. I, I'm glad that you solved the situation and, and got such a large number of cats in. That's really fantastic. And I should say what was interesting, sorry to interrupt there, but what was interesting is once we did that program in February, we had an immediate turndown in the number of kittens that following kitten season. So when we normally would be overwhelmed, we were stable for until about you know July or August when um, the adult cat numbers were jumping up. But the kitten numbers, we could see an immediate change the second we offered that $10 uh, Tom program, which was only a month long. That was what really motivated us to, to try to do more. So if you're part of an organization and you want to try and convince your organization to do something like this, just say, hey, let's just try it for 30 days and see what happens. Absolutely. And, you know, it's you might not be able to spend the time right off the bat to get a larger grant or seek out a larger grant. But even if you just did boys um, for a month or a week or two weeks, it's um, far less expensive. And um, in a short window of time, it did for us prove that we needed to do something for spay neuter at our community and that we needed to do it really cheap. And it proved to everybody in the organization that um, if we went in this direction, we would have success. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. The Community Cats podcast is generously sponsored by the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, one of the nation's pioneers in successful TNR programs. In 1992, in response to a persistent feral and homeless cat population along the Merrimack River in Newburyport, MRFRS began a concerted effort to trap, sterilize, and return a colony of over 300 cats, setting up and maintaining feral feeding stations. That colony was successfully reduced to zero cats by 2008. Today, MRFRS's activities include two mobile, low-cost spay-neuter vans known as the Catmobile, an adoption program with a focus on special needs and hard-to-place cats, veterinary assistance programs for low-income individuals as well as unowned cats, and mentoring for local animal welfare organizations seeking to improve their TNR effectiveness. For more information, visit www.mrfrs.org. A couple of other issues. Your thoughts on uh, pediatric spay-neuter and spay-neuter before adoption? Yeah, well, uh, spay-neuter before adoption, I think, is really crucial because it is the um, sort of the market that we control, so to speak. So prior to us having a veterinarian on staff, we had to do a certificate program where we would give people a certificate to redeem at a local vet hospital post-adoption for a low-cost spay-neuter, and then we would refund the money back to them once that was completed. That was, that was definitely um, a lot of time and effort put into to tracking people down that we weren't sure had spayed or neutered their animals. Um, and also, even though the veterinarians are being great about lower cost spay neuter, there were sometimes some hidden fees, like they wanted to do blood work on a certain cat, you know, or wanted to do something different to make sure that the cat was um, okay for surgery. And what intended to be a low cost spay neuter uh, ended up being a little bit more expensive than the person anticipated. For me, I think whenever we can do spay neuter in advance, it means that we know for sure that the animal is spayed or neutered and we don't have to worry about it going forward. And as for pediatric spay and neuter, especially with cats, it's definitely the right way to go. First of all, they recover really quickly, which is really great. Um, so kittens recovering from surgery, you know, they bounce back so fast. Just like when I was a kid, I got my tonsils out. If I were to get my tonsils out now, it would be a much bigger deal for me. And I think cats can breed at such a young age that really we're talking about, you know, a matter of a few months difference to 
spay and neuter them at eight weeks than when they could potentially get pregnant at four months of age. So I think it's a hugely important thing for people to do, especially for cats. Can you tell me a little bit about your equine program and how it helps potential barn cats? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our equine and farm adoption center is really unique in that we're the only open admission uh, farm and equine adoption center that I know of in New England. We see a lot of animals that are needy and don't have a place to go. Most animal welfare groups right now are, are really focused on cats and dogs and very few are focused on homeless horses and homeless goats, like, like the 46 goats we took in recently. And it's also one of the only places that we can go when there is a large seizure of um, animals that are being poorly treated by their owners. And we've seen countless cases of large um, surrenders of very neglected animals over the years. Um, the nice byproduct of that is that we meet a lot of people during our adoption programs that have amazing barns, great setups. And a lot of those people are looking for working cats that are willing to um, help them with their mice problem in exchange for room and board. So we've been able to connect with a lot of great people that have great setups for those cats that can't um, fit very well in a home situation. So those cats that bite and scratch when they're in the home and have an overly aroused play style that makes them, uh, that puts them in conflict with their owners in a home. We see that they go to a barn situation and they take that job seriously and they turn into amazing cats that are both social with the people that work there and great in the sense that they're really excellent hunters. Um, and for those pesky cats that don't seem to want to use the litter box when they're in a home that probably in the past might have gotten people to um, abandon them outside on the streets, you know, or would come into an adoption center and potentially be euthanized. Those cats now are able to be rehomed into a barn situation where no one really cares where they go to the bathroom. And, you know, again, if they're uh, helping out with the rodent population, it's a win-win for everybody. If you saw a stray cat on the street, what would you do? Uh, for me, I'd probably, <laughs> I'd probably look to see if it was spayed or neutered, but I'm not sure that everybody could really do that. You know, th this is a really interesting topic. Um, and I do think that it's one of the more confusing using topics in animal welfare is what to do with the cat that you see outside. We certainly know that cats live outside, um, whether they're in a barn cat situation or people let them outside. Um, we know that there are feral cat populations and that they might not be social cats. We know that when cats are outside, uh, and they could be you know, abandoned, they could be uh, missing from their home. But I think for the most part, there's a lot of confusion with that. And when you think about what we tell people all the time is that cat travels within a mile radius of their home if they're outside. And during that time, they build different relationships with people along the way. And everyone has a different impression of who that cat is based on their relationship with that cat. Um, so the old lady down the street feeds the cat every single day and, you know, assumes that it's a abandoned cat that she's caring for. The other person two doors down finds it to be a nuisance and tries to shoo the cat away. The owner of the cat, the cat might just go back every single night and they never think twice about it. And then there's someone that's just driving down the street and sees the cat and then they assume that the cat is somehow missing from its owner. It's a hard question to answer because it's very hard to know just from seeing a cat outside what that cat's story is. Um, ideally, I think for us, when we see people who are concerned about a cat that um, is living in the uh, neighborhood and they're not sure, or they just showed up in their neighborhood, and they're not sure who the cat is, or are driving by, is that you know if they do take possession of the cat, we'll help them with a couple of things. Um, so what we our typical thing that we do is we, first of all, check to see if they are um, spayed and neutered. And that helps us understand maybe a little bit about whether the cat is owned or not. 
And also we just care about spay neuter, so we don't want to necessarily release the cat without that being accomplished. We scan for a microchip to see if there's a permanent identification on the cat. We look for an ear tip to see if the cat might have been in a tipped by a group, indicating that it is a cat that's being managed um, either as a free roaming cat or as a feral cat. And if we think the cat is in good condition overall physically and seems to be successful in that environment, we typically will put a temporary paper collar on the cat um, with something that says, if this is your cat, please call us at um, our phone number and release the cat back out into the community. Um, we do that for 24 to 48 hours in hopes that we can make contact with whoever is the person who is the caretaker of the cat. Uh, nobody calls the number and the cat's still there. We may then take the cat in and try to rehome the cat then. So I think a lot of it has to do with what little clues are the cat is the cat giving you about their lifestyle? You know, if, they are, if their coat is in good condition, they're of good weight and they seem to be doing really well. Um, that may just be a cat that goes inside and outside. If they have a microchip, that's obviously very easy. And if the cat's not doing well and doesn't seem to be succeeding, we should be a little bit more concerned about that cat being out in the community. And that's probably more motivation for us to take the cat in. But what we certainly know is once the stray cat comes into an animal shelter is that it has less than 2% chance of being reunited with its owner um, if it doesn't have a microchip or collar or ID tag. And um, we've certainly seen where there's a much greater chance the cat will find its original home if we don't remove it from the community altogether, but maybe give it a couple of things that will help it help us along the way to figure out whether the cat needs to be reunited with somebody or if the cat is actually owned and just goes inside and outside. How can people find you or your organization? Well, we're right at mspca.org on, on our website. Um, we're located physically at 400 Broadway in Methuen, Massachusetts. And as you said, we have you know both a cat and dog adoption center. Um, we have small animals up for adoption. And we have farm and equine up for adoption. So if nothing else, if people are not necessarily looking to adopt an animal, it's still a really fantastic place to come and visit. There's not too many farms that you can go to these days in general in our area, but also uh, to see the various types of animals that are looking for homes. And uh, people can reach out to me via email if they like at uh, mkiley at mspca.org, which is m-k-e-i-l-e-y at mspca.org. Sounds great. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our lis listeners today? I think maybe just the only to expand on the difficult to place cats for adoption. That's been really kind of an interesting topic for me that I've been presenting on within animal welfare. And it's really exciting to see that we have an opportunity, first of all, to work with some of these cats that we've never worked with before. For those people who are listening in that are in the animal welfare field, there's great opportunities, I think, for people to connect now and figure out ways to to solve some of the problems we've had with adoption before. Uh, something as simple as litter box issues, which you know turn a lot of adopters off. Um, we've come up with good strategies for being able to rehome those animals. And, um, and it's exciting to have the opportunity to do the work that we're doing right now to help those cats that need a little bit more of a boost and be able to be what we consider more of a leader in the community with, um, with placing those cats now. Mike, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on my show, and I look forward to having you back again in the future. Sounds good to me. Go Cats! Thank you for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. If you email me a screenshot of your review with your name and address and your t-shirt size, I will send you a Community Cats t-shirt. The reviews really help. Thanks, everybody. Wow.